John chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, this is the inerrant, infallible word of God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made him known. I'll tell you something about our God. He sends out. He's ascending God. In Genesis, he sent out his creative power. He sent out his own image as he made the world and all that is in it. And soon after, he sent out his Love and his faithfulness, making a covenant with Abraham and raising up Moses to lead the people he'd called to himself. He sent out his law, first written on stone tablets and then repeated and expanded through Israel's leaders, judges, and priests. In Micah, we read about God sending out his word, his self-revelation through the prophets, which he did for thousands of years. We cannot see God. John says as much here in verse 18. But we can see what God sends out. Micah believed God had sent plenty to his people for understanding and guidance. But he also looked forward to a future sending out, a greater one. All of God's sending out in the Old Testament were simply shadows compared to the reality and substance he would eventually send. John's prologue, the first 18 verses of this book, are about, is about that sending out. We cannot see God, but we can see his revelation, what he sends. And in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God shows himself as fully as he can be known. He sends out his son, the supreme concentration of his truth and love. The eternal son takes on human flesh and dwells among us. Why? Because God sent him out. John began with the word. This eternal being, God and with God, in whom is all life, which is the light of men. 
God sent out his word first in creation. All that was made was made through him. And now God sends out that same light again. He will reveal himself by sending his son to, as verse 14 says, dwell among us. Jesus, the word made flesh, dwelling among us. Jesus is the answer to all of the Old Testament promises about what God would do and what he would send out in his fullness. And Jesus, the subject of this prologue, the promises are all now fulfilled. But at the beginning of this morning's passage, we read that before God sent out his son, he sent out a servant, one who would bear witness to his son. That's verses 6 through 8 and also verse 15 about John. John, a man sent from God. John, a man given a commission, a life infused with purpose. And that purpose, to bear witness to the Son, animated everything John would do. He testified to the light. What was his life about? He says his life was about testifying to the light. Why? That all might believe Through him. The purpose of his life put so succinctly that every person he encountered would hear and have the opportunity to respond to the light and embrace him by faith. Now, in the ancient world, this arrangement required a little bit of explaining, which is verse 15. See, at that time, when considering which person was worthy of more reverence and more honor, age mattered most. Some of you long for those days. I do too, with my kids at least. Since John came before Jesus, he was older than Jesus. His public ministry started before Jesus. His disciples came along earlier than Jesus's. By every earthly measure, John was due more honor than Jesus. But John himself insists that that's not the case. Why? Because he knows what the gospel writer had already told us, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. God. Jesus was not just prior to John in history. He was prior to every created thing. He wasn't just worthy of a little more honor. He was worthy of all honor. He was absolutely supreme. John says he ranks before me because he was before me. Before John ever was the great I am is. And John, as the gospel writer says in verse 8, was not the light. He was sent by God. He was made by God. He was given great purpose from God. But he was not the light. He was sent by God to testify to the light. Kids, surely sometime you've looked up at the sky at night 
And you've been surprised to see the majesty of a bright and glowing full moon. They can be huge, can't they? They can light up the entire street and the neighborhood. But you know, as well as I do, that the moon doesn't actually produce any light. Only the sun produces light, but the moon can reflect that light in spectacular fashion. John the Baptist did not produce any light of his own, but he was a spectacular reflection of the true light that had come into the world. God did not send multiple lights into the world. He sent the one true light. He did, however, send a lot of potential reflectors. The Old Testament law reflected the one true light. The promises of the prophets likewise. And everyone who trusts God and says by faith, God will do what he has promised. They too reflect the true light. Verses 6 through 8 are about a particular reflector. John the Baptist sent out by God to bear witness to the true light. John saw that the light was true and thus that it was from God. He believed in the light himself. He reflected that light into the lives of others so that others would believe through him. Now verses 9 through 13 are about the light. The light to which John witnessed the light that God sent into the world with purpose. John had purpose to bear witness to something else, the true light which enlightens everyone, the light that was coming into the world, the true light. In this context, true means genuine. That word will come up again many times in our study of this gospel. So I won't go into all of them now, but it is an interesting Word study, if you enjoy that kind of thing, that God here says he's sending the true, the genuine light. And then in just a couple chapters, God will receive true worshipers, genuine worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. It's the word that Jesus will use when he tells the hungry crowds that his father has sent the true or genuine bread of heaven. And again later when he says that he is the true or genuine vine. And here, regarding the light, the gospel writer repeats what he already knows, that the world was made through him. But this time, he says this not to praise the world, sorry, not to praise the word, as he did in the first part of this passage. No, here, he says what he says in order to convict the world. Though the light made this world, everything that was made was made through him, remember? Yet, when he was sent into the world, it did not know him. He was sent to his own people, and they did not receive him. Oh yes, there would be some who would receive him, but it would not be his own people. Those who received him would not do so because of their bloodline, nor because of some fleshly desire. The will of man. No, those who received him did so only because of the will of God. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In the last part of this morning's text, verses 14 through 18, the gospel writer, John the Evangelist, provides his own witness. He too was a witness. 
He was a witness to God's sending out of John the Baptist. He was a witness of God's sending out of the word, the true light into the world. And now this John is also sent out for a purpose. To encounter the witness of Jesus and to reflect that witness to the world. John says that we, the apostolic witnesses, we have seen his glory The Greek word for seeing is significant. It's not a casual kind of seeing. Oh, I I glanced. Yeah, I saw Jesus' glory. It was fine. No, that word describes something that you have examined carefully, something you've studied and reflected upon. One scholar describes it as a careful and deliberate vision which seeks to interpret. How closely have you seen God's revelation in Christ. How closely are you studying and examining the light that has come into the world? I don't know how closely you are, but John studied it intently. And given what God says about Jesus, what God inspired John the Baptist to say about Jesus at his coming, this is surely the right response. The true light came into the world We should probably do more than just glance at it. Now, up to this point, God has revealed himself through shadows and promises. Things that are true and useful, but not complete. What John's prologue tells us is that Jesus is the supreme revelation of God. That phrase at the end of verse 18, he has made him known, is especially significant. When a preacher or teacher describes their study of the Bible, we're getting ready to teach, we're preparing, and we're describing to others the work that we did, the word we often use is is exegesis. To exegete is to explain or narrate a passage. It's to unpack it so that its meaning can be made known to others. And in this verse, John calls Jesus the exegesis of God. Jesus is the perfect narration of God's nature. Jesus alone, as one pastor puts it, is qualified to be the exegete, the unpacking, the revelation in its fullness of God. Now, all of us, all faithful disciples, we can become qualified exegetes of God's revelations. We can read his revelation and study it and explain it to others. We can all do that. But Jesus alone, the perfect revelation of God, Jesus alone can exegete God himself. None of us has ever seen God. And yet through Jesus, God is made known. Now that's my exegesis of this morning's text for you. And as I hope to do often through this series in John, I want to go back and dig a little more deeply at just a few things that jumped out at me from the text as potentially helpful for those whose desire is to abide with Christ. First, notice both the consistency and the uniqueness of God's sending out. He sends out. Out John the Baptist, the one who will prepare the way for the earthly ministry of his son. He sends out John the evangelist, 
This John will become a disciple, in fact, the disciple Jesus loved. He would also become a gospel writer and the author of important epistles for the early church. Each man is unique, sent out by God for a specific task. Each of them is uniquely important for the sake of his kingdom. And God will send out lots of people and things. There's great diversity within God's kingdom purposes. But what there is not is diversity of purpose. Different as they are, all these things and all these people, different as they are, they all share a singular, consistent purpose. They all are to witness to Jesus Christ. One of my commentaries has a nice list of the times in John's gospel that use this phrase, witness, in this way. There's John and John here. There's the Samaritan woman in chapter 4. There's Jesus' works and miracles in chapters 5 and 10. There's also the Old Testament itself in chapter 5. There's the crowds in chapter 12. The Holy Spirit in chapter 15. Great diversity in God's kingdom tools. But all for the same purpose. To bear witness to Jesus Christ. So considering that, I'd say this to us. It's no small thing to be sent out by God as a witness to his son. So is that where your life is pointing? To live a joyful life is fine. But to live a joyful life in the joy of the Lord is a life that points to Christ. To act with honesty and integrity is valuable. It's a lovely change from the world. But to do so because your life has been enlightened by the true light, that's what it means to bear witness. God made you different from me and different from one another. He gave us different tasks and gifts and circumstances. And he gave us differently than he did John and John in this passage. But if he's called us to the light, then he's given us all the purpose. He sent us all out to bear witness to the light. Second, notice what the gospel writer says in verses 14 and following about the subject of grace and truth. Now, we easily accept John's assertion that Jesus is both. We love that about Jesus. He made known grace and truth. Truth, But it may strike some of us as odd that John also says the law is both. It says from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Remember, while Jesus is God's most complete revelation of himself, he is not God's only self-revelation. Hebrews 1 talks about this, the variety of ways before Christ through which God revealed himself, and the law was one of them. Anytime God reveals himself, makes himself known, that's something he doesn't have to do. That is grace. And in this passage, the phrase, the law, also represents the whole law covenant, God's gracious covenant with his people. 
These revelations in the Old Testament, they always looked forward. We just read this in Micah, that Micah lived under the grace of God's covenant. Micah lived under the grace of this law, yet Micah also testified to and anticipated the light that John now says has come into the world. And so God, by grace, sends forth Micah to deliver this promise to his people. And so now, as that promise is fulfilled, as Jesus comes in grace and truth to dwell among us, John doesn't say here that it's just one-time grace. Oh, this is the moment that grace showed up in Jesus Christ. He says it's grace upon grace. Grace built upon prior grace. In fact, I think the best literal translation is grace instead of grace. This grace instead of that grace. One stone placed upon another The grace of the law was not sufficient to save us because it didn't have the grace to forgive lawbreakers. It could only show lawbreakers their sin. But it still came to us by grace. It still was God's self-revelation. It still showed us the way to holiness. It lacked only the power to redeem. And so there God sent out another grace, grace Upon grace, he sent his son. Jesus' sermons were right in line with this. He fulfilled the Old Testament promises to proclaim freedom to the captives. What was promised in shadows by the prophets, he brought forth in the fullness of his life. But it wasn't a different thing. It was an additional thing. Grace upon grace. So then our lives, our witness to the light, needs to reflect both of these graces. Our witness is first to Jesus' death and resurrection, which brought freedom to our captive souls. His perfect righteousness alone is sufficient for our holy standing before God on the day of judgment. We must reflect that grace in the, in, in the world through our lives. But our testimony also testifies to the grace upon which that grace was built. The moral law that God revealed to us. The very moral law that Christ fulfilled for us perfectly. Jesus showed us what the law points to. And the answer is him. He points to the law because the law always points to him. And so if we are going to reflect him as the moon reflects the light of the sun, there's no other way except By keeping his law. So ask the question. How can I be a bright, full, reflective moon in a world of darkness? And the answer? He has told you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with the Lord your God? Ask the question, how can I reflect the light of Christ as clearly and as brightly as did the two Johns in this morning's passage? And the answer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Third, I'd like us to notice here what John says about the world. 
Not so much for this morning, but because it will be very important in later texts. This is his first reference to the world, and that word is a significant concept in this gospel. In verses 9 and 10, he says the true light was coming into the world, the world that the light had made, yet a world that did not know him. And then he says, as I mentioned before, that those who did receive him, who became sons of God, did so only by the will of God. Their own wills, their own flesh couldn't get them into the family. And this is because when John speaks of flesh, when John speaks of the world, he's not just talking about humanity in general. He is talking specifically about humanity in rebellion. He's talking about the creation which has set himself up in opposition to God. It's not that flesh is sinful. Jesus took on flesh. But our flesh has the curse of Genesis 3 upon it. And therefore, as one scholar says, until the ransom is paid, the flesh, the world, is subject to weariness and pain and misery and death. World, for John, does not mean everything that has been made. It means everything that has been made And because of sin and the curse is in rebellion against God. So when John says the true light enlightens everyone. We have to take it in this context. That he's talking about Jesus. God's most perfect revelation. The true light that comes into the world. The sinful, fallen, and rebellious world. And illuminates everyone. One pastor calls it an invasion of true light. And what happens when that true light shines on the world? It divides the world. Those who hate the light and do not receive him, and those who love the light and do. John will unpack this more in chapter 3. He'll talk about the response people have when God's light comes into the world. Rebels, unrepentant rebels, flee lest their deeds be exposed. This all connects with Micah's teaching as well. Remember, Micah said an important function of God's revelation in the world is that it forces a choice among the hearers. Will you believe and receive God or will you flee from the word of God and continue to live according to your own desires? The glory of God came into the world. Verse 14, John tells us that he saw it. And in fact, he tells us that it was there for everyone to see. But not everyone will see it. It was there when Jesus preached. But not everyone who heard saw. It was there when Jesus performed miracles. But not everyone who saw believed. It was there at the crucifixion and the resurrection. And incredibly, even then, not everyone saw and believed. The same glory is visible when the word of God is read and preached today. It's in the hymn that we sang before the sermon. 
That in the means of grace, in the reading and the preaching of the word and the prayers, in the Lord's Supper, the glory of God by grace comes down to us and is made evident. It's visible in worship. It's visible when a believer, when you, sent by God into a dark world, manage to love your neighbor as yourself. It's there. It's visible to see when you do your duty in any sphere of life, witnessing faithfully to God's revelation in Christ. But even so, not everyone sees it. In fact, there are a lot of ways to outline and organize the book of John. But the most simple is this. It's two parts. Chapters 1 through 12 of John, his own people did not receive him. Chapters 13 to 21, but to those who did receive him. The revelation comes into the world to force people's choice. This is the challenge the incarnation presented to the world. And so for we who abide in him, our lives must challenge people in this way. With humility with kindness, with joy. We don't, we don't get to jettison the fruits of the Spirit just because we're speaking truth. But people need to look at our lives over a period of time and see that our very lives, because they reflect the true light which came into the world, force this challenge upon them. The true light illumines everyone. What will I do? By grace, God sent forth his light into the world. It forces that choice of truth. By grace, God sent forth witnesses like the two Johns to point us to the truth. By grace, God's reflected that same truth in us as the sun shining upon the moon. We receive the light of truth that the world needs. And so by that same grace, may we go out and reflect both grace and truth to the world. Because if there's anything John's prologue makes clear about our God, it's that he is a God who sends out. And by grace and in truth, he's sending us out. 